Engaging Leader, episode 158, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, featuring Liz Wiseman. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Liz Wiseman has just come out with an expanded, updated edition of the book that she first published seven years ago and uh, which became a a worldwide bestseller, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. I'm very excited about this new book, but I have to admit I'm also really humbled. As a leader, It's uh, when you read this book, it is a bit, at least my experience, it was eye-opening in terms of all the things I'm doing wrong. (laughs) But at the same time, it's very inspiring to see the potential. This is a book that asks, are you yourself a genius or are you a genius maker? Uh, That's a a tough question. Um, If you're the leader, you really should be more of a genius maker and not worrying about yourself being the smartest guy or gal in the room. You know, we've all had experience with two dramatically different types of leaders. One is what uh, Liz calls a diminisher. It's somebody who drains intelligence, energy, and capability from the people around them when they walk into the room. They always need to be the smartest person in the room, and they tend to be idea killers and energy sappers. They're just all-around diminishers of talent and commitment. And on the other end of the spectrum are leaders who use their intelligence to amplify the smarts and capabilities of the people around them. When these people walk into the room, light bulbs go off over people's heads and ideas flow and problems get solved. And it's not all coming from the leader. If you're a longtime listener of The Engaging Leader, you know that one of our core beliefs is that the leader is not the magic. The magic is in the team. And our role as an engaging leader, or what I like to call engagers, is to engage that team, to facilitate the, and cultivate the talent on that team so that that's where the magic resides. And Liz's research backs up that very phenomenon where she calls them multipliers, where the leaders essentially multiply or amplify the intelligence and talent of everyone in the room. And so they inspire that magic, which then helps the team get more done with fewer resources, helps them develop and attract even better talent, and to cultivate new ideas and energy. And so I'm so excited to have Liz back on the show today. She joined us back in episode 104 when we talked about her new book at that time called Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing. Because her research and her tips are so helpful for someone who wants to be an engager, who want to be a multiplier. And this new edition of Multipliers is not just a minor update. It's completely revised and expanded with brand new chapters. And we're going to dig especially into this new section talking about this idea of an accidental diminisher, which I hate to say it, I really (laughs) found myself in. Uh, in that category, where despite good intentions, you've actually 
been accidentally diminishing the people on your team. You mean well, you don't, you don't, you're not purposely trying to diminish people around you. You don't think you're really the smartest guy in the room necessarily, but you are accidentally having that same, the exact impact you don't want to have on the people around you. How can you find out if you are an accidental diminisher and what can you do about it? That's what we're going to dig in today, along with what to do with the diminishers that you know of, that you um, have no choice but to work with, how you can become a multiplier yourself, and then how can you build a multiplier culture within your team and your company. For those listeners who aren't already familiar with Liz Wiseman, she teaches leadership to executives and emerging leaders around the world. She's the author of three best-selling books, the two I already mentioned, as well as The third one is The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools. She's the president of the Wiseman Group, which is a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley. Some of her recent clients include Apple, Disney, eBay, Facebook, and Google, Microsoft, and many more. Previously, she was an executive at Oracle Corporation, where she worked over the course of 17 years as the VP of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. Liz Wiseman, welcome to Engaging Leader. Oh, Jesse, it's good to be here. Liz, could you walk us through what a multiplier is? Yeah, a multiplier is a type of leader who uses their intelligence to bring out the intelligence of others. And in some ways, it's the ultimate engaging leader. It's, uh, and I compare these to, to other leaders who are very smart, but they seem to shut down the smarts of others, and I call them aptly diminishers. So the multiplier is someone who uses their own capability to engage and use and grow the capability of the team. They multiply the intelligence of the people around them. What's What are the key areas where multipliers and diminishers are different? <laughs> well, that's that was really the, the gist of, of the research that I did. And essentially what I did in the research was look at these two different kinds of leaders, what they did, how they thought, and the impact that they had on others. And let, you know, actually, let me start with the impact that they had on others, because that was probably what was what was so surprising. And then we'll go to what behavior drives that impact. We found that these diminishing leaders got less than half of people's capability. So people are coming into work every day, badging in, bringing 100% of their intellect and their capability, but finding that their boss is only interested in about half of that. Um, Of course, the company is paying full price for the resource, but getting you know, 48 cents on the dollar. We found that these diminishers get 48% of people's capability on average, whereas these multiplied leaders get virtually all of it. And, And it really comes from how they think and what they do. The diminishers tend to think, nobody's gonna figure it out without me which drives them to lead in a very different way. Uh, The multipliers tend to have this belief, this assumption that people are smart and they're going to figure it out. Mm. So here are the five ways that they, they lead very, very differently. The first is how they manage talent. Diminishers tend to be empire builders because they love to acquire resources. Multipliers tend to be talent magnets. 
people flock to work for them because they utilize people and they don't just utilize people's capability. They utilize people's what I call their native genius, the thing they do easily and freely um, when it comes to setting direction. The diminisher um, tends to be a know-it-all, whereas the multiplier tends to be a challenger. See, one gives directives, the other one asks big questions. When it comes to creating and shaping the work environment, the diminisher tends to be a tyrant. You know, they create stress around them, anxiety. The multiplier is more like a liberator. They create a safe environment where people can step up, can speak up, um, and people tend to give them their very best thinking. Um, the last two areas are around how they make decisions and how they drive for results. The diminisher tends to be the decision maker. They make fast decisions that leave other people confused and debating, really, sort of in the hallways and in the corners. And, and the multiplier tends to be the debate maker. On the most vital decisions, they invite people to weigh in. And they lead their team in hard-hitting debate that actually generates a tremendous amount of buy-in in the process. And then in terms of how they drive for results, the, the diminisher tends to be the micromanager. And the multiplier tends to be investor, giving other people ownership and the accountability that goes with it. So those are the five things that we found that these leaders do very, very differently and cause them to get very different levels of engagement and contribution from people around them. One thing I'm curious about is this idea of decision making. Is is the is the multiplier the type of leader that um, always has to get to consensus? Not at all. We we found, and I looked for this. Because I probably have just a little bit of dictator in me. I, I, how about you? <laughs> Why do you think I'm asking the question? <laughs> I suspected there might be an ulterior, mo- ulterior motive in that. So we found that these multiplier leaders aren't always, if even um, often, consensus-oriented leaders. For the most part, in the end, they end up making the final decision, but they don't make it with a single brain. They make it having heard the voices of many. They are the ones. So, and, and, and this multiplier approach to leadership, it's not a weak or a consensus-driven approach. It's not a, gee, I don't know. What do you all think? It's about using your own intellect in a more powerful way. It's about saying, here is the decision that is vital. This is one that's going to affect the trajectory of our organization for maybe years to come. This is the one where we need every brain engaged. They choose those issues. They frame them. They explain why it's important. They, they pose the question. They, they establish the ground rules for debate, which I can assure you are almost all hard hitting kinds of rules. And they, they ask a question and then they step back. And then they kind of come in almost like you would poke a fire, like when, you know, things are starting to sem- um, settle in, the embers are, are sort of going dark. They'll go in there with that poker stick and they'll sort of poke at it and say, well, what about this? What about that? Or they might say, Jesse, you've been arguing for this. Liz, you've been arguing against it. I want you to switch opinions. Liz, you now argue for it. Jesse, you're against it. Go. 
which is very unsettling. (laughs) But it forces people to deepen their thinking. And what happens is if we decide, let's say in this case, that we're, we're moving forward with the plan, like who won that debate, Jesse or Liz? Mm-hmm. It's totally unclear. And it ends up building consensus on a team because we've all been able to look at the issue through multiple point of view. Um, so are they consensus-oriented leaders? No, often they're the ones that make final decisions, but they're smart enough to know when they need all the brains that they've got and all the brains that they can borrow um, and engage that in a debate. Yeah, so they use consensus, but they're not bound by it. One of the the brand new sections of, of your book in this, this newly expanded uh, edition is about being an accidental diminisher. And I'm sure that most listeners of Engaging Leader, when, when they heard you describing multipliers and diminishers, they said, I want to I be a multiplier. But I was, as you were rattling off the differences there, I was actually feeling myself um, a little bit uh, uncertain. Oh my gosh, what if I'm actually doing that without meaning to? I, I imagine there's lots of people that are well-meaning, but, um, but fall into that. So can, can you tell us about this, this new section? Absolutely. So this new section of the book, The Accidental Diminisher, is there because I've learned some things since the book was written, what, seven years ago, nine years ago that I started the research. So when I started this research, it was so clear to me that that there were these multiplier leaders and that they were these diminishing leaders. And and honestly, if this and this kind of comes from the category of confessions of a social science researcher. So I'm now telling you, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm loading some of my guilt here, is that I think that when I first started this, I had the sense that I could categorize people because people so easily categorize their own leader, so easily put them in one of these two camps. And I felt like I might be able to walk through the halls of an office and, and be able to help people say, okay, that person's a diminisher, that person's a multiplier. And I really think it was a very limited view of this. What I found, what I have found, and I, you know, I knew this to an extent at that time the first edition came out. You know, I talk about this idea of an accidental diminisher, but I didn't quite realize that actually the vast majority of the diminishing that's happening in our workplaces is coming from the accidental diminisher, mm-hmm. not these tyrannical, narcissistic kinds of dictator bullies. Mm-hmm. See, those people we can see. And we can avoid or ignore or, you know, we can sort of turn the volume down on those people, take other jobs. But what's more insidious is the well-intended leader. And, and these are these are people who um, who teach Sunday school. These are people who <laughs> um, these are people who are the first to sign up for management training. These are people who read lots of management books. You go in their office. There's probably a whole shelf of management books. And these are people like me who write management books, who, despite having the best of intentions, are shutting down the people around them. And we 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 find. There's a number of ways this happens. And if you let me rattle off a few ways that we see the accidental diminisher dynamic at play. Uh, And I'm going to start with those that I struggle with the most. Um, One is what I call the idea guy. So these are a few little profiles. So Mm -hmm. the idea guy, we are, um, 
creative, innovative thinkers. We love ideas. We love working in an idea-rich environment. And so we we toss out ideas. Hey, what about this? And I was thinking about that. And, you know, on my run this morning, I and, and we think that our ideas are going to spark other ideas. So, you know, so it, it'll be like a popcorn going on around us. But what actually happens when you work around the idea guy? So, Jesse, you know, if you've been around one of these people, what, what typically happens around this person? Well, I'm looking at myself in the mirror here. I, because uh, <laughs> you're, you're describing me. So, I, I throw out ideas and I'm really excited about them. And uh, there may or may not be some healthy debate about them. Uh, but at some point, I get impatient when people aren't sort of jumping on at least one of my uh, many ideas that I, I recognize not every idea is going to be good, but at least look, look, people, let's get excited and go somewhere here together. So let's go somewhere yeah. or, you know, so maybe people don't respond to the ideas, but initially people often do respond to it. Like, okay, Jesse wants us to do this. Now he wants us to do that. Now he's got us over here. Now he's got us over there. And, and eventually people learn to just st- stand still, mm. you know, where they are. And, and if they need an idea, of their own. Often people think, you know what, it's easier to actually just walk down the hall to the fountain of ideas because, you know, (laughs) the Jesse fountain goes off every hour, (laughs) perhaps. Like I know I am a fountain of ideas and I've had to learn as a leader. And it's not that I can't be creative and innovative. It's not that people don't want to ideate with me. It's I have to learn when to hold back. I have to, um, like for me, I've learned this is my little workaround to being a bit of an idea guy is when I'm about to spout an idea, I ask myself a very simple question. And that is, Liz, do you want the, your team, the people who work for you, do you want them to stop what they're doing and work on this right now? And most often the answer is no, I really don't. I'm not trying to disrupt the current work. I'm just, I'm just, it's like playtime. I'm just having fun. And so I usually hold back, write it down, which I never like having to just write it down and hold it back, but my team sure likes it. Um, So that's one way. Um, Oh, another way that I'm quite guilty is uh, I am, I'm probably a raging optimist. This, you know, I was like, I think every, (laughs) every performance evaluation I've ever had, you know, from my time in the corporate world, probably all started with Liz has a can do attitude. It's just always like, Hey, hard things. That sounds fun. You know, the, 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 the scarier, the harder, bring it on, love that stuff. And, and for me, it probably comes from having an over um, dose of, uh, what does Carol Dweck call these a growth mindset? Just a sense of, Hey, you know what? We we're smart. We're going to figure this out. And you know what I found that my sunny optimism does to the people around me? Yeah, it kind of relegates them to look at the downside. Because see, if the boss is always looking at the possibilities and what could go right, what job is is left for other people? Hmm. What could go wrong? Or um, I've had people say, Liz, I need you to stop saying that. I'm like saying what? They go, that thing you say all the time. How hard can it be? This can't be hard. We can do this. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, growth mindset. And, And they said, Liz, I need you to stop saying that. And when I've really honestly said, why? I got educated. He said, because what we're doing 
is hard. It's really hard. And as my boss, I need you to, and you could probably fill in the blank on that, Jesse, I need you to. Yeah, to be aware of the the complexities and, and all the stream of work coming out of this. Yeah, I need you to understand it. I need you to acknowledge it. Because see, when the boss doesn't acknowledge the struggle and the difficulty, which is where all growth and where all genius is really born in that struggle, when the boss doesn't see it, people tend to just hold back. Um, I've learned to spend more time talking about what could go wrong, the downsides. I've learned to say things like, uh, what we're doing is hard. In fact, you know, there's a bunch of other things I say, but that alone is enough. Just, mm. this is hard. What we're doing is really difficult. We might make some mistakes. You know what? We may not be successful at this. And and it's funny. I find that when I say those words, kind of these magic words, I usually get a wink or some like little nod from my team that says, okay, we heard you. Thank you. You know, because I've signaled the struggle. Mm-hmm. And then they give me the nod because they know it's coming anyway. Because <laughs> I go, but how hard can it be? <laughs> and, and, and it's not that people want optimists to become pessimists because who likes a pessimist as a boss? Mm-hmm. Nobody. But, you know, I can have that optimism while acknowledging the difficulties, the reality, the struggle that people are going in. So those are two I struggle with. Um, we often find the number one way that people accidentally accidentally diminish and with the very best of intentions is by um, rescuing. And, you know, I mean like the big hearted leader who doesn't like to see people struggle or suffer or make mistakes or fail. And, and, and when their people are struggling, they empathize, of course, they want them to be successful. And so they extend a hand of help. But of course, you know, what happens when a leader is helpful too early or too often? Like what naturally happens to the people on their team? They stay become de- become dependent. They don't grow. Yeah, they become dependent, and we've essentially, you know, um, we we've arrested that development process. And you know, we we often build resentment too, because what is it like to feel rescued constantly? And actually, when managers rescue you know, consistently, this is actually where performance problems lurk and where they, where they breed because the work's all getting done and the, the, the manager sees a performance problem. They see someone that constantly has to be rescued and, you know, their I's have to be dotted and their T's have to get crossed. But what does the employee see? Sometimes they're oblivious and they just say, hey, all my work is great. We win every time. You know, it's always done and fit, but they don't, they're not really seeing the invisible hand of the rescuer. But yet the boss is in talking to HR about this <laughs> performance problem. The employee's like, what? What? Everything's fine in my neighborhood. Um, sometimes we end up diminishing by becoming um, pace setters to our team. Uh, leading by example, of course, with the best of intention, modeling the way, you know, setting the pace for quality or, you know, customer service or um, 
agility. You know, we set the pace and we think that people around us will notice and, and do likewise and follow. And we think that they'll kind of speed and catch up with us. But what actually happens when a manager gets out ahead of her team by a car length or two? What do people do when the boss pulls out ahead? You know, we found that more often than not, they fall behind. Yeah, if you've ever been um, caravanning with someone, <laughs> okay, and and you're like driving faster and you keep going faster and faster, signaling to them like, speed up, come on, keep up with me. And what do they do? That's so driver. They just pull back. My mom does this to me. She's <laughs> like, I was trying to tell. I'm like, Mom, why didn't you go faster? Oh, I was trying to tell you I couldn't. I I, I couldn't keep up. <laughs> so I just I went slower so you would know that. <laughs> And there's there's so many different ways. Sometimes we we're overprotective of our our team. You know, like shield. I, I've spent enough years in the corporate world that I know this play. It's oh, there are there are bad people out there in the organization. There are nefarious characters abound, and there are some. And so, I as your manager, I'm going to shield you from those people. I'll buffer you from these dark forces in the organization. What actually happens to people when? We don't even wait to rescue. We just shield them from problems. We say, you know what, I'll go into this meeting because it's going to be contentious. Or I'll give the presentation to the the really sort of gruff senior executive. Uh, let me shield them from politics and this and that. Um, that people never have to do hard things themselves. And so, I mean, in those kind of organizations, we shouldn't be surprised that maybe there's not a lot of bench strength in those organizations because people have been buffered from reality. And what do we really need to do to engage our teams? Like bring them right into reality and help them learn and grow through that difficulty. Um, Sometimes um, some of us have a perfectionist gene that we just love to get work, you know, just perfect. And of course we think we're helping people improve, and we want other people to enjoy that feeling of getting it just right. But what's it like to work for a perfectionist? What's the experience of the employee You know that sees nothing but red marks all over their work? You know, people actually end up disengaging. And so I think what I found is that we can end up disengaging people by doing the very things that we think are engaging, sometimes just just like cheerleading or these always-on leaders, often these charismatic leaders who are, in their mind, um, energizing their organization, kind of whooping up the team like, woo, woo, you know, you, you know these kind of leaders, woo. And when I ask people what's their experience working for the always-on leader, it's it's almost always the same. People groan. They're just like, oh, oh. They're like, they're killing me. They're like sucking the life out of me. Mm. So there's, there's a chapter in there on the accidental diminisher. And, and it's, and, and I think there's an important idea here that I should probably share is having some of these tendencies does not make you a diminisher. It doesn't mean that you're having a diminishing impact just because you're an optimist or that you're helping people who are struggling. What it means is that 
you're vulnerable to having a diminishing impact. You're likely having a diminishing impact if you're not tempering and adjusting, calibrating some of these, um, what we would probably consider strengths or, or even management virtues. But the, here's the thing I can promise. Um, I, I can't tell you for sure you're having a diminishing impact, but if you are, <laughs> I can promise you that you will be the last to know about this. Ooh. So your team, they all experience this. In fact, they probably talk about it and they might even be having therapy sessions <laughs> 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 about how to, how to deal with this, this strength of yours that has been misplayed, not even overplayed, but misplayed. So if you are concerned after hearing some of the, those examples that you provide that maybe I'm a well-intentioned um, leader, but I'm actually maybe having some diminishing aspect, where do you start? Well, you can go to that chapter. Um, you, you can also uh, go to uh, a quiz that we put together. It's uh, called, Are You an Accidental Diminisher? And it is a 10-question quiz. It is really short. Uh, I have to say, initially, I was very skeptical about a 10-question quiz. I put this together a little bit like scoffing, like, oh, what value can a 10-question <laughs> quiz have? Uh, you know, I had built this rigorous 360-degree leadership assessment that I honestly was just a little bit in love with. And when my publisher suggested a 10-question, and get this, Cosmo quiz, uh. I'm like, I didn't like anything about it. I put this little quiz together, and this quiz has been so helpful to so many people. I was absolutely wrong about it. Um, so that's a, that's a good little starting place. It's, it's a self-assessment. Take the quiz. You'll get a, a score on that, and it will point out where your accidental diminisher vulnerabilities might might be. Now, a caveat about this quiz, because often people take this quiz and they say, hey, Liz, I took that quiz and I am not an accidental diminisher. And they're very, very proud of themselves. <laughs> and then I have to awkwardly point out, I'm like, okay, you mean you took the self-assessment? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, what that tells you is that you don't think you're an accidental diminisher. Which gets us to probably the most valuable thing you can do is to ask. Now, if you ask people, am I a diminisher? Like, ah, I heard about this book and the multipliers and diminishers. Like, am I, one, am I a diminisher? Do I suck the life out of the team? The answer is going to be no. Even if you ask, am I an accidental diminisher? Even if you've both read the book, the answer might still be no. So here's a, a better way to answer, ask that question. If you ask, how might I, with the very best of intentions, be shutting down ideas, energy, engagement in the team? People usually can answer that question. Because mm. you have to point out, what am I doing with the very best of intentions? Most people are willing to have that conversation. Like, I know you think you're helping me here. But actually, you know what? Let me take the tough presentation to the big boss. I can handle it. Where can people find that quiz? Ah, the, the quiz is on multipliersbooks.com. And I think if you just Googled accidental diminisher quiz, it would pop up. Because it's been used by so many people that I think I think Google knows about it. So you can take the self-assessment and then you could also invite your team to 
to sort of fill that quiz out uh, thinking about you. Yeah. In fact, and you know, one of the, the other things that prompted me, there's a couple of other things that prompted me to put a new edition of this book together. One was this question of, yeah, I, I kind of know the things I need to do to be more of a multiplier, to be a truly engaging leader myself. But it really takes a culture. It takes a whole team thinking and leading this way. So there's a new section in the book on building a multiplier culture. The first step we find to really building a culture where there's a set of shared values and norms and a way that we work, it starts with having a common vocabulary, a language, and and this this idea of the accidental diminisher and the ways that we do this. Ah, oh, you're rescuing. Ah, oh, that's your optimist coming out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what? Don't be a rapid responder or, okay, you know, Liz, you are in idea guy mode. That has served as a really valuable shared language for people to talk about what's actually diminishing and how to work around it. So in some ways, it creates a safety for people to give feedback in a way that's actually lighthearted and fun rather than, you know, having to schedule time with your boss to sit down with her to talk about all of her diminishing ways. Like, I can tell you right now that conversation's not going to go very well. <laughs> but if you start with, hey, what, what do we each do that's kind of accidentally diminishing? It's actually a pretty fun conversation and people are willing to have it. And I hear this over and over from people. People say that idea of the accidental diminisher, they said, years later, we're still talking about it. It's what allows us to kind of keep each other honest to a better way of leading. I think you're right. I can think of several conversations that I could have using that sort of language and that that model to t to talk about it and get a lot more helpful feedback from people and, and provide better feedback to them. Yeah. And the trick is to, to have it together. So, if, you know, one person is, is trying to develop better multiplier skills. Um, I, I'd encourage them to spend less time working on their own development and more time on crafting a conversation as a whole team, because it also acknowledges that leadership doesn't just come from the, the boss it's really a function of how we work together and do we recognize that each person brings a unique genius to the team and that we all play a role in shaping an environment where people can speak up and step up. And, and that's not a function of one person. It's a function of a team and a culture that's been it's – a, it's a set of norms that have been established. So that's interesting. You're, you're suggesting that – Rather than take this book and figure out how to apply it to myself and then go teach it to the team, you're, you're suggesting that section of the book on, on building a multiplier culture, jump in there instead and be engaging the team about it because they're probably, not only are they going to grow, but they're actually going to then be able to help you be a, a multiplier, not an accidental diminisher. Well, there's actually a, a, an example there in that section. It's in the final chapter building a multiplier culture, there's an example of a leader named Mike Felix. And I think his example really shows an effective way to do this. He, he, Mike Felix is just a phenomenal leader in his own right. Just one of these amazing leaders known as a turnaround guy brought in from um, Alaska, running Alas Alascom. 
like Alaska Telecom, mm-hmm. uh, brought in by AT&T to do a turnaround on the Midwest division of AT&T's, their Internet and Entertainment Services division. He was leading a team of 8,000 people. 8,000 people. He hears this idea, leader is multiplier. It really resonates with him. He hears leader is diminisher. That that resonates with him too. But when he hears this idea of the accidental diminisher, he feels a few pangs of guilt, just like I do and, and Jesse, you do. And uh, if yeah, you've been listening, you pray. And he, it, it speaks to him. And it's about a really good leader who wanted to become great. So he starts to deal with a few of his accidental diminisher traits himself. But no sooner has he kind of started work on that for him, he, he launches a conversation with the team. And the team conversation starts with, hey, how might I be accidentally diminishing? What do I need to do to be a better leader so that we get the full intelligence and capability of this team? And then it becomes a team conversation. And then he starts mentoring his, his managers. He's got about, you know, seven, hundred managers in his team, mentoring them, helping each one of them identify little diminishing tendencies and how to be more of a multiplier. And he knows that creating a culture of brilliance isn't about having nothing but multiplier leaders because like who here can live up to that ideal? I, I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to have my diminishing moments as is everyone. But his focus is how do we create more multiplier moments inside this organization? Hmm. And that requires a culture. So, yes, start with yourself, but don't navel gaze too long. Don't try to develop your leadership in a cave, meditating. You get out with your team. Again, the book is Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. Liz, what else, uh, before we wrap up here, what else is new in the book? You know, there's one more thing that prompted me to produce this, a second edition. And it was this question that came up for so many people. Like, I want to be a multiplier, but really where I'm struggling right now, where I need help, is dealing with my diminisher boss. And, you know, can you, and, and people were saying to me, like, could you just fix them for me? You know, and, and even <laughs> in saying that, you know, what, what, what their eyes were saying is, could you just get them fired for me? <laughs> or, or really, can we just go right to the problem? Could you just kill them for me? You know, like, no, I can't get rid of your boss. I'm like, help, please. So I spent a good, um, a good amount of time, actually more time researching this question than I did on the whole original book, which is how do we deal with the diminishers around us hmm. that are, are, are still going to be there? Now, I am, you know, not so secretly trying to rid the world of bad bosses, but we're all going to have to deal with diminishers or the diminishing moments of great bosses or the diminishing moments of our roommates and the people we love, who we live with. And there is a guide in there. I'm really excited about this chapter, which is strategies for dealing with diminishers. Uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert on this section is most of our intuition tells us to pull away from these diminishers. And what I found is the the best and fastest way out of a diminishing situation is to multiply up. To actually take some of these very practices of the multiplier that engage the people on their team and use that in a way that engages and includes and invites the intellect and contribution of that diminisher. 
And, and that person's not going to change overnight, but their relationship with you will change and the dynamic will change. And there's a bunch of strategies on how to do this, how to deal with diminishers and be a multiplier up, down, sideways, so that not only you, but everyone gets to do their very best work. Uh, that sounds exciting. Liz, where can people get their hands on the book and find out more about you and your work? Well, the book is available in pretty much every place books are available. So um, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, CEO Read, bookstores. Um, so it's available. It's it's shipping. And where can you get more information? Um, multipliersbooks.com has information about the book as well as a lot of resources, um, a lot of the resources that we've been using in teaching. Um, we've just put them all in the book because, like I said, I'm trying to rid the world of bad bosses and and help create environments where people can contribute fully and be wholly and fully themselves. So a lot of those resources are in the book or on the website, multipliersbooks.com. And are you active on any social media? If so, what's your favorite? Oh, I am active on Twitter, at Liz Wiseman. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. If you friend me on Facebook, you'll hear a little bit about my work and a lot about my four kids and my family. So, (laughs) (laughs) in fact, I just posted a picture from Mother's Day where I snuck into my son's room, my 18-year-old son, I snuck into his room the night before Mother's Day and gave myself a Mother's Day present by uh, taking out a Sharpie marker and tattooing a big heart that said mom (laughs) on his big manly bicep, surprising (laughs) him when he woke up. It backfired on me a little bit, but like, you know, so on Facebook, you'll you'll see stuff like that too. That's great. How fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Liz Wiseman, thank you so much for joining us on Engaging Leader. Hey, Jesse, it's so good to talk with you. And thanks for the work you're doing building workplaces where people are truly engaged. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Well, I'm guessing I'm not alone for feeling a little bit humbled by the discussion about accidental diminishers. I don't know if you found yourself in that uh, in that scenario as well, but hopefully you found some of those tips just as helpful. Obviously, there's a lot more to get into in the book that um, you'll find helpful to make sure that you are actually a multiplier and not diminishing by accident. We'll provide all the information and links that Liz mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-sized and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.